Oscar Poker. So basically, I'm, I'm referring, I mean, because we're going to discuss something that I believe is going to become a pretty strong narrative as of Tuesday morning. And that's the realization, as you and I both understand, that there's really no big home run best picture contender, uh, soon to be nominee, uh, except in its own realm, in its own way, Top Gun Maverick. They're all uh, weak sisters in one way or another. And everybody, there's no disputing this. You know, people are, what are they doing? They're, 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 they're just kind of reaching out and trying to make the enthusiasm happen in their own heads for, you know, you name it, for, for, for tar, for everything everywhere, you know. But it's, there's nothing that really rings the bell. The only, as I've said to you before, and, I, and I'm bending over backwards and saying this because I can't stand this film, but everything everywhere at least has passion. It has passion amongst the people who, who really care about it. But mm-hmm. everybody, even the, you know, even the people that are not huge fans of, of escapist fear, everybody understands and recognizes that one, Top Gun Maverick is a very efficient, very well done film of its type, and it did something really significant. Besides, well, anyway, it, it did something significant besides make money. It revived the film industry or more particularly the exhibition industry it actually got people thinking that there's a path forward in which at least some films could uh maintain and revive and uh, excite people uh you know beyond the marvel realm i mean you know something that mm-hmm. might actually is involves craft and and good vibes and you know smart efficient that and you know they could this is something that uh it's it's not just you and I are, and others are not saying, well, let's let's abandon cinematic criteria. We're we're not. We're we're saying this has cinematic criteria. Joseph Kaczynski is is a really good director. Mm-hmm. It's not deep, but it's really good, and it and it makes everybody feel that there is maybe a tomorrow in this equation somewhere. <laughs> and that's one of the that's one of the best reasons I've ever heard for uh, you know giving a film a best picture Oscar. Not because it's great art, because it's a it's wonderful in what it did. So. Yeah, it's so. funny because I think it's it's yeah. it's a it's a it's a macro view of everything right now is that there's this divide between everybody else and this kind of small group of people that controls culture. And yeah. I think that if you want to, what what I think people that write about the Oscars, the film community, the bloggers, the critics. What they've come to realize over time, and this is different from when I started, which was in my first year covering the Oscar race. 99, right? Yeah. Gladiator in 2000. That was the first film to win Best Picture. And that Mm -hmm. year, I was just starting out. And my goal at the time was to take the Oscars and make them about films that were really good instead of popular films or instead of films that, you know, we all thought had they had middling tastes. They used to get criticized for that. Gladiator one like Top Gun could win without pick without director or screenplay because remember Steven Soderbergh won best director for traffic and Steven Soderbergh feels to me like Todd Field this year for Tar yeah yeah. Um, and then and then screenplay I think went to traffic as well Mm. but the other movie that was pushing through was Crouching Tiger Hidden Dragon uh, with Michelle Yeoh so it's kind of funny (laughs) to, to see it all play out again this year um, 
But I, I think I was wrong, or at least I think that we overshot our hand because in trying to make them more critically acclaimed, they closed themselves off, walled themselves off from the rest of the country. And the way the Academy sees it and the way a lot of film Twitter people see it and a lot of Oscar people see it is forget about that, America. Like, forget it. We're done. We're going to be international now. We're going to meet an international global community of European types who appreciate mm-hmm. these kinds of films, who appreciate art films and who aren't in the, the business of film for profit or the, the great, mighty American film industry. Let's just leave mm-hmm. it behind. And... um and I think that's wrong, at least when it comes to the Oscars. The Oscars were never meant to be a global enterprise. They were always meant to be, well, I mean, I think in the beginning they 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 might have had the idea that they could that the American film industry could reach all the different countries. I don't think they ever thought we're going to replace the American film industry with all these other films from other countries. I think they always thought, you know, we're so dominant, we're going to always be mighty and powerful. And, um, and it's just not true anymore. So I, no. you look at the films and the Oscar race and how much money they've made. And it's not just about money. It's not. But it is about relevancy. It's about 20 years from now, what movies are people going to be able to say came out this year? Or do they even remember? They'll all say Top Gun. They're not going to say any of the other movies that are in the race. They're, they're completely obscure to them. I don't know if well, that... Well, they'll mean- mention Av- Avatar A Way of Water. Avatar. Avatar has made 582 million so far. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go down the list, it's pretty well. The whale, we're all celebrating the whale as being a box office success. And it's made 12 million dollars. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. a man called Otto has made 28 million, and that's practically a revelation. Fableman's has made 14 million. Babylon 15 million. The Banshees mm-hmm. of Inisherin 9 million. Tar 5 million. Um, Babylon, or I mean, uh, the menu somehow got 38 million. That movie should, should have probably been more in the conversation considering. I didn't know that it was that high. That's actually pretty good for the menu. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand why it, it did it that well, but I didn't know it. It was up to 38 million. That's pretty good. Yeah. And it's Not actually, bad. yeah, I caught up with it too late. I think it's actually a really f- interesting, fun movie. I liked it. Not mm-hmm. fun, but it's a dark comedy. I, I really loved Ray Fiennes in it. I thought he was great. Me too. Um, I really think that was one of the best movies of the year. It's just too bad, and it, it you know, it missed. It just didn't land in the Oscar uh, conversation at all, unfortunately. Yeah. But it's crazy yeah. to see these Oscar movies at such a low box office. Mm-hmm. Usually, they'd be thirty, forty, fifty million, um, because the buzz would matter, and uh, and it doesn't. So I think it doesn't that... not be, because the older viewers, right? They're not going anymore. There's Mm-mm. still COVID. Ter- inhibited, if you will, I think and so. they're at the, and that we're talking about, uh, you know, over thirty-five, over forty, uh, you know, people with some income and some comfort in their lives. They're just not going. I mean, mm-hmm. they're figuring, all right, you know, I'll stream it. I'll stream it. That's right. Uh, I'm ready. Sounds good. But they're not going to go to see it. I mean, people said that shame. women talking hasn't even cracked one million apparently, and because uh, nobody that I understand. That. Yeah, I know. And someone said to me, you know, they screwed up in the publicity. That it isn't, and I said, "Are you sure? Are you sure it's just not people? <laughs> people just, you know, they they think, you know, I can catch it on streaming later. Am I really gonna go mm-hmm. out and spend money and park and go to a movie theater and sit there to watch this? Like, what would be my incentive to do that?" I think it kind of 
less than a million you just said right William, yeah. uh, women talking mm -hmm. do you remember the passionate con you know conviction the the almost ec ecstasy that was that film was greeted with when it played in Telluride five yeah, months ago I do and I remember being one of those people that really thought it would go all the way like I at one point I thought it was going to win best picture okay I have to be Is honest that about that. I can't say... after speaking to a particular friend who runs a website that we are both very familiar with, who was very high in that film, a gentleman who we met up uh, at, the, um, at the village up top. Do you have a recollection of that conversation? <laughs> yes, I, I do remember. I, I think yes, but also I was I was trying to gauge how the voters are going to vote. And I thought, I personally thought this year was going to be a Me Too year because they have these Me Too movies coming out. Harvey Weinstein mm -hmm. trial was coming out. But what I came to find was that the opposite happened. People resisted it. They didn't want to watch these movies. They didn't want to relive it. And I think it has to do with exactly what we were talking about earlier this morning on our other phone call, which was mm. what Top Gun represents. And it represents fun. Fun. You know, I think yeah. coming it's out fun. of... And efficiency, but really well-made fun. Swiss watch fun. Swiss watch uh, fun, yes. If you watch it in the very beginning and you see how tightly this guy has it directed and edited, it's lean. Mm -hmm. Every scene has a purpose. It, it's just fun. The first battle scene between the uh, between Maverick and all the, the flyers is a great mm -hmm. scene. It's so well-directed. And it's kind of a shame that we've we've gotten away from this idea that movies can be well directed. <laughs> you know, like it's just well directed, and you—that's what a director does. You know, they they tell a story to you like that that takes you to a place where you forget about your life. You know, for a couple of hours. Uh, well, it, I, I was kind of forgetting about everything when I watched it, and I was blissfully in that space. But I have to say. And, you know, I, I just wish that it had been a little bit better in two ways. One, I wish the Top Gun Maverick had not entirely stolen the uh, the Star Wars idea of having to go right in and hit the magic spot that will blow up, blow everything yeah. up. And, you know, and uh, and and the. You know, do you remember in the original, of course, uh, Mark Hamill is in trouble. And at the last second, Han Solo zooms in and saves him from from being shot down. And, you know, it was the same thing. There was no um, attempt to even, you know, massage it a little bit, make it a little bit different. Secondly, and I said this from the beginning, and I was laughed at all over the, the nets for saying this, but if uh, they had decided to be really crazy brave and end it the way the bridges at Toko re-ends, which is the same basic idea. It's the, mm, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big mission and they have to get it. What happens is that William Holden, who is the, the star, and Mickey Rooney, they both get shot and killed at the end. And it would have been amazing if Miles Teller and Tom Cruise no. had died on that mission. That's it's not the, that movie. There, it's not that movie. I know it's not that movie. I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying that I would have seriously advocated for this if I was, let's say, a production executive working for Jerry Bruckheimer, because they'd fire me if I said something like that. But it would be amazing if they had done it, and it would give it gravitas. These well, I know, but it. here's the problem with that. All we have is gravitas now. Like, literally, that's all we have. And it's absolutely mind-numbingly boring, because there's only so much navel-gazing you can put up with, with this community. It's like, how much more of this are we going to go through? 
at some point we have to get on with our lives. You know what I mean? Like this constant tinkering with everything that's wrong with us and this, this maudlin, depressing, painful, awful, ugly movies that we have to sit through. And it's like, there's a place for that. As I was thinking about what you were saying, and I was thinking, what would be the incentive to do that? Uh, let's just say that in the old days, the incentive was to win a, an Oscar. Let's say the incentive in the old days was to make it to the big show and get mm-hmm. the award from your peers. Well, we know that yeah. that has no value anymore. Mm-hmm. Because it isn't because a, it isn't average a, people don't believe in the sincerity of the Oscar yes, telecast exactly. or the process at all. It's all politics. It's all woke. Exactly. It's all insanity. And people know that. So. That's right. They know that it's a rigged game and they know that it's, mm-hmm. there's no honor in it anymore because they give movies to prizes to movies that people have never heard of and will never hear of and will never see. It has nothing to do with them, but more than that, it has nothing to do with the excellence of cinema anymore. That's what it used mm-hmm. to be. It used to be high achievement because in the old days, the way the Oscars went were when I started, which was you have all the movies that play from January to December, and then they close the door, and then the then they look at the movies that were released, how they did with the how much money they made, if they were good, if they had cultural importance, if people thought about them, if they moved the needle, if they were a big deal, if they were talked about. And then people started talking about the Oscars. These movies deserve it because. But Mm -hmm. now it's reversed. We all usher these movies in like lobbyists. And, you know, these hothouse flowers that are grown for the Oscar race, for specifically for Oscar voters. And they have no value other than that. None. Mm. There is Mm. no value in winning an Oscar anymore because it's become like, a way for the academy and the industry to, you know, to, to sort of absolve themselves of whatever it is that they've spent their lives doing. Can I ask you a uh, personal recollection question? Mm. When was the last um, Oscar uh, award race and ceremony and, and crescendo and finale when you felt this is really a good win for everybody. It, it it does a lot for the lore of cinema. It make it, it reflects and says something profound about our common experience. It it it's you know quote unquote meaningful. And I'm really proud to be uh, even a ten- tangential part of the film industry because of this win. It's a perfect moment, and I'm really happy that this film won. Uh, when did you last feel that way with all your? All I, your I personally felt that way the last time I had that feeling was 2006 mm-hmm. when The Departed won. And the reason was... Yeah, that, that was great. There were yeah. a lot of movies released that year that were supposed to win the Oscar, like Munich was one. I think mm-hmm. that was The Flags of Our Fathers year. I can't remember what else was up, but deep down I knew that The Departed was the best. That's how sort of how I feel about Top Gun. I don't think Top Gun's going to win, but I felt like deep down I knew it was the best movie, Departed. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just that Scorsese's time was due. It was it was the best movie. It was crackling good. It made $100 million. Warner Brothers hadn't even launched an Oscar campaign for it. It was totally there organically, just like Top Gun. And mm. uh, and when it won, I was so happy. It was like, I felt like, yeah, okay, the, the right movie won because it mm. was, it was yeah. the best movie. One, I interviewed an Academy member one time and I asked him, um, what do you what do you judge the best picture of the year on? Like, what what's your criterion? He says, well, we just picked the best movie. 
You know, and it's like, okay, the best movie. That's a vague answer. That's not a very good <laughs> I know, but I've always thought about that. Like, the best movie just means what movie all voters think is the best. But again, 20, 2006, they only had five best picture content. The Departed never would have won with the system we have now with mm, the preferential no. ballot. No chance. Neither would No Country. It wouldn't have won either. It's too dark. You think that the... Um... You know, the, the, the wokester element would have had a problem with the nihilism and the kind of the somber down, downishness of no country for old men today. You think that there would be something objectionable in particular? I, in I, I think of... it wouldn't have even made it into the Oscar race, honestly, because it would have been deemed a white guy movie and left behind. Um, I think that they just by default, they ignore movies like that. Um I don't know about the Coens are kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson and Todd Field. They sort of have a, a pass mm-hmm. uh, through, you know, people don't judge them as harshly, although we know what happened after um, Hail Caesar. I can hear you. Well, typing. what happened after Hail Caesar? I'm sorry. I didn't mean, you're, you're saying that you can hear my keyboard. Yeah. What happened after uh, Hail Caesar? Well, remember, it got kind of attacked for being too many white people or something, I think, as I recall. Um, well, not really. Uh, that was actually Jen Yamato, the LA, who was not with the LA Times at the time, but she said uh, she had a complaint that it wasn't representational enough. It was too white. Yes, but remember, this is a film that was taking place in Hollywood of 1951, the year that Quo Vadis came out, and uh, the communist uh, subversion was a big hot topic. But it, it, she was saying that there didn't matter what the culture was like. There had to be, uh, you know, people of, of Asian ancestry, uh, you know, African-American. There had to be uh, more representation, regardless of the, uh, of the time that it was set in. And that was the first truly insane thing that I, I heard from Jen Yamato. Not the last, but the first one that really struck mm. me, you know. And, yeah, I, and, I, and, and Cohen thought she was insane for even mentioning such a right. criteria that was like the last time you'll ever hear anybody in hollywood push back in any way uh against any of this but he did he was like what are you saying and, and i think that's one of the reasons they they're dispirited lately and they're not really putting out the same kind of movies they used to um yeah mm-hmm. and i feel like i just feel like you know what they're doing now is they are they were are awarding films to represent this little bubble this utopian Mm -hmm. it's 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 really like it's really kind of like a cult like an like a fundamentalist religious cult and it is very much like scientology or nexium or where it's where it's enclosed and where they where they discourage dissent and they force compliance like that Mm -hmm. we can you know the sundance loyalty pledge is a perfect um sort of metaphor meta, metaphor and manifesto for cult-like yeah. thinking they're gonna mm-hmm. the the wokest people on the planet are gathering in park city <laughs> for the film yeah. festival <laughs> which has been totally tweaked and reordered to only have inclusive propaganda films and mm-hmm. those people they're gonna make sign a loyalty pledge those people you know they they've gotten rid of all the people that they did they thought were problematic like you or whatever like me yeah and and they still are making them sign that and and all that does well, is the make... idea is to, it's a, it's the extension of the uh one of the fundamentals of, of wokeism which is safety 
Um, they they want everybody to feel completely safe from uh, toxic or vitriolic or contrarian thinking, right? So that's yeah. the uh, that's the primary idea. Is, is you know don't even say it. Don't even go there. Don't think about being problematic in terms of not thinking the way we do or you know having different sensibilities. And mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're an asshole and you don't have a sense of decorum or consideration or kindness in you, you should appropriately uh, have to face consequences for being a jerk. And that, that's a social rule in any realm, any business realm or social realm. But they're going well beyond that. They're saying that, you know. <laughs> it's hilarious. Let me read it, okay? I'll just read yeah, you the please. middle part. In celebration yeah. of our diverse community of staff, vol- okay, so the, the key words are always diverse and inclusive and safety. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones right. to always, as soon as you see those words, you know what you're, and I'm not, you know, trying to be like, you know, I know that people would say that we sound, uh, what's the word? I mean, I, racist or whatever, but that that isn't what I'm just saying, like, the word inclusive and diverse, they don't really mean what they're talking about. Because if they were inclusive, they would have movies by lots of different types of people with different types mm-hmm. of ideologies, but they don't. They only have one kind of ideology that's allowed, right. and it's very strict. So when they say that, what they mean is inclusive in terms of identity. Mm-hmm. All right. right. So in celebration of our diverse community of staff, volunteers, artists, audience, audiences, and partners – we hold steadfast in our commitment to freedom of creative expression, <laughs> which is not true. While simul- and, and every time you hear anything I say, think of that movie by Meg Smaker that got totally canceled at the um, at the uh, Sundance Film Festival. Uh, while simultaneously lifting up anti-racist, anti-sexist, and anti-discriminatory practices in all areas of the Sundance Institute community, we strive mm-hmm. for her- a harassment-free safe and respectful environment that protects community members from conduct that is inappropriate, disruptive, abusive, and threatening. Therefore, we ask that everyone in the Sundance Institute community do their part in creating an environment that is welcoming, safe, and inspiring to all by committing to to being inclusive and respectful of people of every race, ethnicity, gender identity, expression, disability, sexual orientation, nationality, religion, age, physical appearance, and body size, language spoken, and immigration or economic status by by refraining from demeaning, discriminatory, or harassing behavior or speech, intentional with your words by abstaining from hate speech or actions of any kind, including the abusive chat function, example, trolling. Mindful of the boundaries of others by avoiding unwelcome sexual attention, harassment, stalking, and inappropriate physical contact of any kind. Respectful Mm -hmm. of moderators, artists, and audience members by refraining from sustained disruption of courses or other virtual and live events. Conscious of the power you hold by not engaging in abuse or intimidation, including that related to race, gender, position, or wealth respectful of the individual's expression and intellectual property of others. It also requires that you acknowledge that others may have a similar or in this or the same story idea or concept as yours. So basically Mm -hmm. like don't copy other people's work vigilant in the fight against the spread of (laughs) COVID-19. 
by a <laughs> by abiding by Sundance Institute's official health and wellness policies, including protocol around face coverings. This is the best sure. part. This is the best part. Mm. Each report of potential violation is taken seriously and reviewed carefully by Sundance Institute's safety and belonging team. Any violation of these agreements can result in exclusion from Sundance Institute programs, platforms, or spaces, including a complete ban on further participation in any institute program or event. Mm-hmm. For not wearing a mask. <laughs> I wonder what the policy actually is now, because you know most people are not masking. Obviously, there are some that are concerned about you know uh, the way the, the covid keeps popping up or, or reigniting or whatever but I, I wonder what the deal is because um you know there is there are crowds there it's back to the to the old uh, the old pattern i mean people are actually showing up at the echoes they're actually i wonder what the deal is i mean because um i haven't you know, obviously i'm not there but I, I wonder what the actual i imagine that it's probably something along the lines of some people who feel better about masking or are, are masking uh, but I wonder how hardcore they are about telling people, no, 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 it may be 23, but in our minds and in your minds, appropriately, it's back. It's really 2020. It hasn't changed. And you have to adhere to that reality because we say that we are saying to you, uh, you know, don't ease up. Don't think about not wearing, not masking. Be considerate and we'll all be fine. So, <laughs> do you think anybody's going to break the rules they have to sign this jeff they're not allowed to not they're not allowed to make that choice this this thing right. says, says you have to comply and yeah, um because that guy who, who the wall street journal guy right who's the one who first uh, wrote about this he says what if i don't sign well if you don't sign it or if you don't agree then you're not going to be able we're not right. going to let you see the movie and that's you're not why and he said i'm not doing it not through me right. and you know the last year when they canceled that filmmaker meg's maker for her uh what's it called um, be specific about the name of the film we have i can't to... remember it i keep wanting to say the redacted but it's not that it's it's uh jihad um it says the unredacted uh jihad jihad rehab mm-hmm. um that was the original title jihad rehab that was it no i think that they they titled it the unredacted or something later but i remember that was definitely the first title because it's catchy obviously right yeah yeah um, when i look it up I'm looking it up right now uh it was first released as jihad rehab it's now called the unredacted that was that's the second title yeah so anytime you hear their nonsense about that stupid loyalty pledge think about this story mm-hmm. think about this story it says a uh, reading from deadline it says she premiered her mm-hmm. film as a hot sales title at sundance only to watch the festival apologize twice after angry charges were leveled by six Muslim directors that Sundance had rejected their work, but allowed a white filmmaker to perpetuate Islamophobia. That led to backers like Abigail Disney disavowing the film when social media criticism reared up and South by Southwest rescinding an invite. Oh, what a bunch of cowards. South by Mm -hmm. Southwest, really? Mm -hmm. Um, And apparently some filmmakers are sticking up for her, including Sebastian Younger. Um, a lot of people have have sort of tried to, you know, stand stand beside her. She has a GoFundMe. She is showing right. the, um, she's showing the film around in different states and at different uh, film uh, film festivals. And and Sebastian Younger, it says here, just moderated an interview with her at one of the screenings. He finds himself incensed by what he discovered had been done to Smaker, 
her film maligned in such a shadowy way, especially by left-leaning entities that are supposed that are supposed to stand up for and protect worthy doc- documentaries that are provocative mm-hmm. by nature. Taking a position mm-hmm. like this isn't something Younger often does, but here he wanted to write what he considered an injustice. Here's his quote. As a journalist, I had to walk a fine line. I couldn't sound like a subjective advocate. I had to be impartial. But you can be impartial and come to a conclusion. I had to make it clear I wasn't putting my thumb on the scale to do a friend a favor. Essentially, this was unbelievably unfair. And there was so much cowardice on the part of powerful people. I was just, Mm -hmm. wow, what a coming together of ghastly things. Vengeful, petty, malicious people who don't really have a case. And fearful, powerful people looking to protect themselves. It's grotesque. Where did he? Where, can you tell me where? Where the, I want to see that piece. Uh, where, I'll send it, it to you. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's on deadline. It's I never saw it myself either. I didn't know it's. Okay. Uh, but it's all the way back in. Well, it's last month, December. I'm really right. happy to see that because, as far as I can tell, people are not talking about this. They're just keeping it quiet. But they shouldn't be allowed to put out that stupid, <laughs> pretentious, ridiculous, cult-like statement and make people sign it mm-hmm. after they did this. You know, yep. and uh, they're they're all cowards. They're just afraid. You know, they they don't have any integrity. I should point out, um, and this is not meant as some kind of harsh criticism, but uh, a good fellow, Richard Rushfield of the Angler, uh, I did uh, ask him because his, in his opening thing, which is basically just a first person uh, account of what he went through and about his condo and everything, you know, it's basically a harmless little. Okay, here we go. It's starting off. And he was saying about how it's all so normal. But he does ask rhetorically at the very beginning, uh, does Sundance still have a real function in the world that we live in? Does, is there a platform for uh, for independent film? That is it really a, a launcher the way it was back in the 90s, of course, and you know the early aughts? I mean, for me, T- Sundance Film Festival was the biggest high of the year. And this is no, I'm not, uh, I mean, I, I was delighted to go to that f- festival and i had the greatest time and we're talking from 25 years from 94 until the the, the terror came in around 19 uh that was one of the i mean i was so happy to be a sundance regular to 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 be in the cold to wear my cowboy hat and run around and just go to great parties it was delightful and i loved everybody and everything about it so it's just it's a personal tragedy really it's an emotional sadness that i it's hard to you know overstate about how i feel about the how that whole thing is has changed mm. and uh you know the crazy people have taken over well i just think it's, it's really funny that they dare to pretend that they're about inclusivity and freedom of expression they're not about any of that they're about mm-hmm. strident dro- doctrine and or mm. propaganda i i don't even think any of their movies Uh, can come out of this thing like it's too you know i know coda was there every single one you watch you know is going to have some agenda attached to it Mm -hmm. you know it's all dogma it's like we're pushing this way of thinking but but the weird part is they're only pushing it on like-minded people so what is it that that does make it like christian rock or skit night at the scientology center it's like we're giving these this reinforcing of our beliefs to people who already agree with us. It's mm-hmm. really, really strange. But it's, it's not- Sundance Island, Sundance Island, and its adherents, and its and its cult like 
membership and it's a shame because it you it i genuinely feel that as recently as 16 with manchester by the sea i knew that that film would connect with average joes and it would be it would mean something to a lot of people and uh and it was sundance that brought it to the fore it, it gave us the, the the promotional bounce and it went all the way and it was glorious uh, i felt so good about that festival having been part of that that uh that dynamic, you know, the, 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 this is where it began, and I was um, I was delighted uh, by it to be a small part of that, and I was very very happy. You, that will never happen again. Well, I no, I mean, I I wonder, I sometimes wonder, you know, where 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 does this go? Like, mm. they seem to have turned themselves into some kind of. Um, you know, a, a a thing where the only thing that they want to do is to hold back successful people because they're white male and boost mm. minority voices so that they can be kind of a platform to to do good things with with art right. by allowing mm. other people to tell their stories. Um, yeah. I just wonder, is, yeah. what's the interest in that? Like the New York Times readership, like the Upper East Side, is that it? Like, mm. that's what I loved about the menu. The menu was obviously the guy who made Succession. So the metaphor of the menu is, he, here's this guy, has this fancy mm -hmm. restaurant, and that's only made for rich, the super richest of the rich. And right. they're people he can't stand, and in a job he can't stand, and a lifestyle he can't stand. And, and all he does is think about how f happy he was when he was flipping burgers and, you know, feeding people who are hungry and, and, you know, really the top gun of it all. You know what I mean? Like the real yeah. life part of it all. And, and that's what the menu is about. Like, because I think in his, from his mind, this is totally projecting. I don't know if this is what he thinks because I haven't read any interviews with him. But I think mm. his, his mind, he made succession to comment on the very people who ended up loving the film. I mean, mm -hmm. the show, the show. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like he he's trying to make a commentary about the wealthy, but the wealthy are the people who, who are into it, right? So, I just wonder, mm. like, is that the fate of Sundance? Is it just for the royal court? You know, is it just for the aristocrats to watch it and feel like they're doing something good and valuable with their lives? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to uh, a film community that that entertains people, you know. One last thing on this before we move on is that yes, I thought that sure. the best, in my opinion, the best message of the Banshees of Inisherin is mm -hmm. that when you take, like, for instance, I think of the uh, Brendan Gleeson character as representative of culture and sophistication and classical music and beauty and appreciation of art and poetry and all that. And then mm -hmm. the Colin Farrell character as the everyman. And so when the culture decides, when Brendan... Uh, Gleason decides to just cut off his relationship with Colin Farrell. Um, he leaves him bereft and that it doesn't do him any good to take that away from him because he needs mm -hmm. it and we all need it. You know, um, I just think that was an interesting, you mean just being chatty and being friendly and just the warmth of human contact. Is that what you mean? Well, the warmth of human contact, but also Brendan uh, Gleason's character representing culture and bringing yeah. that culture to Colin Farrell, allowing him to be part of it, even if he doesn't <laughs> fully understand it. Um, but cutting him off, I just thought that was such a brilliant metaphor that he put in there, because mm -hmm. that really is what we've done 
here in our culture, yeah. our film culture. We just and and that has a, and and you know that's also the message of vengeance. Vengeance has the same message, which is you can't take this away from people because then they start believing in conspiracy theories and acting crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know why why are we doing that? Why are we cutting them out? So I can make that argument for Top Gun, but I, we, you and I know we don't have a community of people that's going to support that argument. They want their little utopia to all to themselves. I, here's how I put it uh, a couple of weeks ago. The best message that the much weakened and bordering on irrelevant Oscars, uh, the, the, the Academy can send to the general public is this. The best thing they can say is, yes, of course, we get what's happened over the last five, six, seven years. We've been acting like self-regarding jerks. Mm. We've worked ourselves to death, woke, excuse me, woke ourselves to death. And you hate us for this. Of course you do. We get it. (laughs) And, And it's a way of conveying this understanding. We're happy. We're overjoyed to announce that the winner of the 2022 Best Picture Oscar is a film that you guys loved. Mm-hmm. That you loved. We all loved. It's a well-made, pro-level, populist, flyboy flick that even the snootiest critics admitted was a rousing, well-produced ride. What is wrong with celebrating and giving a, a trophy to a film like this? No, I so agree. I feel like... Yeah. What does the Best Picture Oscar mean now? What did it mean in 2000 when I started? Nobody was going to argue with Gladiator winning. They might have said, oh, it wasn't the best movie. I said that. I thought Crouching Tiger was better. I thought Traffic was better. But I didn't know. I'm in a twilight zone now because here I am Mm -hmm. 22 years later and it's all gone. It's all gone. And back then you could say Gladiator won Best Picture and everybody knows Gladiator. Everybody out in the public, you say Glad, they all know it, you know? Mm-hmm. But they don't anymore. It's awful because it's like we. I felt like I was part of, of of a genuine faith. It was like being a good Catholic, and I loved what Catholicism was at its, at its highest and most profound iteration. And it was it was it was glorious when it all seemed to come together. And you know, there are many people listening to this who will just think I'm an idiot for saying this. But do you have any faith in? In the Oscar tradition, but there is something truly glorious and 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 almost you know you know soothing and and it, it was joyful. It was joyful when it when it all worked. And I'm very very sorry that that joy element. Um, and I'm not trying to over um, you know be be too glowing in my recollections. You know, everybody tends to think things were better when they actually were. But but I'm very very sorry that that joyful element has been diminished severely diminished mm. uh, over the over the last few years it's really um it breaks my heart because i really live for that you no for i know, that. I know same you do, you know. i i that's my, my whole life movies um i try put on top gun last night i always i i have seen it probably the 85 version or the new no one? no no top no i don't actually like the first one um okay. the first one's fine but it's not it doesn't have just R.I.P. R.I.P. Tony Scott, you know, great guy. Mm. R.I.P. I'm not trying to disparage his name, but I don't think it's as well directed. I think Joseph Kaczynski is a really good director. I mean, I, I'm mm. watching that movie and I'm thinking, I put it on last night and the rhythm of it is so good. It's just such a steady, he has such a steady hand. He knows exactly what he's doing. It, you know, he, there mm. isn't a, a piece of fat on that thing. It's totally lean. 
And every scene has a purpose and every character is enjoyable to spend time with. Like Jennifer Connelly is great in it. She's just Mm -hmm. so easy and, you know, she reminds me of Lauren Bacall. You know, she just has this easy sexuality. Tom Cruise is fun. And all the the flyers, they're all interesting, funny uh, characters. And he, you know, he doesn't, this isn't a movie where we're going to watch people die. It's not a movie where we're going to have to, you know, talk about what kind of enemy the enemy is. It's Mm -hmm. just... You know, um, it's just uh, it's just people doing that thing, you know, that American thing. And, and that's probably mm-hmm. the biggest criticism the movie gets is from people on Twitter saying it's it's uh, it's pro-military. It's it's too, you know, oorah, America, fuck yeah, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, OK, fine, it is maybe. But I don't know. Like you tell not me. Not obnoxiously so. It doesn't obnoxiously insist upon that. But yeah, it is what it is. It's not, you know, I, I didn't have, I never had any flinching reaction to the jingoistic thing. And there, there are films that have been jingoistic and, and have offended me. I didn't feel that from Top Gun Maverick. No, and I didn't really feel did. like it was particularly patriotic either. What, what it was to me is good flyers. It was about the art of flying planes. Like that, that is, you know, the expertise of it and um, the competitiveness of it. And the lesson about, you know, it actually has a good lesson in there about, you know, taking risks and and not listening to the noise in your head. And um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Listen, I can't really explain it. It's one of those things, you know, it's like uh, great ice cream, great sex and great movies. If you have to explain Mm -hmm. them, you you don't have to explain them. Everybody knows they're great, you know. Before we wrap up, just just what do you think about that point that was made by one of the readers of of HE in which he said that as far as Colin Farrell versus um, uh, 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 Brendan Fraser is concerned, that pain uh, or the uh, always wins the the sick the, per, the performance uh, the portrayal of, a, of an of an ailing character always wins over one who's relatively not sick or at least semi healthy and that Brendan Fraser is a, an ailing character and therefore your heart goes out frankly I didn't really love the film at all I finally saw it yesterday but I did feel it I felt the sadness of the poor guy me too and I understand you know. I, I, I was emotionally destroyed by that movie. I, I was watching it thinking, this isn't very good, you know. But by the mm-hmm. end, I was sobbing. Like, I couldn't stop crying. I, it took me a really long time to compose myself. Even after the movie was over and I tried to talk to people about it, I would start to tear up because mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. such a sad character. You know, he's yeah. just so sad. He has nothing <clears throat> to live for except his daughter. Um, so I, I can see him winning... Uh, I used to think that, I mean, I, I'm still a little torn because I think Austin Butler, um, with the Lisa Marie thing might, might, and Elvis is such a popular film. Is Elvis really going to go home empty handed? I don't know. But right now my instincts are telling me that Brendan Fraser is probably going to win, but I don't know. You you really think that, that just because, I mean, I feel what you're, I know what you're talking about, but it's so it's so grotesque to to contemplate this poor guy's life and it's not like uh i don't know how to put it except that it just doesn't feel like it's really a a, a man who's been struck uh unfairly and brutally by 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 random uh fate it's it's a it's about a guy who could not and for years on end refused to um 
kind of pull himself together and say, okay, I'm devastated by the loss of my, of my lover and my, and my, were they married? I can't remember. But anyway, this young guy that he lost, but you know, I have to move on because you know, you can't just collapse when something horrible happens, but that's what it's saying. He had kind of no choice and he had, and that's, he, he wasn't able to pull himself together. And that's really sad. I, there's something about me that's inside me that rejects that. Cause I think that there's, you know, we're, we're offered a chance each and every day to decide, are we going to live in the here and now and maybe make something better than what we had yesterday? Or are we just going to be ruled by by random, unkind, brutally, uh, you know, harmful things that happen every now and then? And I, I just don't believe that. I think most people don't accept that. And it doesn't seem um, absolute enough. I just can't go with the, the tragedy of it. Although I did feel the poor the poor guy's uh, the emotion in his eyes and I felt what he felt for his daughter and it was it was pretty well written you know it was a play but it was but it did affect me I have to say well that. I think that you know um the all three of these characters Brendan Fraser Colin Farrell and uh um Austin Butler they all play doomed mm. characters in one way or another who mm. are you know who can't get themselves out of the fix they're in what I appreciated about the whale was that Darren Aronofsky just didn't even bother to try to redeem him. It's just like, this is a guy where life has totally bottomed out for him. And that's the food is his drug. He's like a heroin addict. He can't stop eating. Um, he's disgusted yeah. with himself to where he has to hide from his students. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it was sad. I don't think he's the only human being in this country that's like that. I mean, I think there's, that it's, yeah. you know, it's not saying you should be like this. It's saying that he was able to play a character who's uh, just right at the end, you know, right at the end where he's, he's about to die. And, and there's something moving in it, you have to admit. And maybe that's Brendan Fraser's performance. I don't know. I'll never forget that that, that instant, that moment. And, you know, people, the usual spo spoiler whiners got angry at me for mentioning this. But the the instant in which a very intense white light descends upon him and he kind of cries out and i swear to god it wasn't just a it wasn't a cry of pain it was almost a cry of ecstasy it was almost a pain a, a cry of relief like oh my god the, the 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 torment is over and uh i was very touched by that actually me too i, I don't think i'll forget that so i was too i mean i i wish i i all everybody i know said it was a bad movie and that he wasn't going to win and i watched it and um, at the end, I was like, whoa, that movie hit me a lot harder than I thought it would. I was just mm -hmm. so, I mean, I really think that this is a hard race, this this best actor race. And, and you know, it's also hard that the Michelle Yeoh versus Kate Blanchett is another one that's, Kate Blanchett seems like she can't lose, right? But at the same time. But she almost, almost capitulated the other day, didn't she? She yeah. almost said, I don't know that I really want to win if I going to be the white woman winning over after having won two Oscars and I don't want to take it from a woman who's, who's having her moment. You know, yeah, it, it did sort of seem like that. But how weird was it that in that whole room full of uh, fanboys, fangirls and boys for this movie, that they didn't mm -hmm. also give the award to Michelle Yeoh? I thought that was very strange. It got mm -hmm. picture, director, and screenplay and not actress and supporting yeah. actor. And she's the only one who doesn't win it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I found that to be very suspicious. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I also, you know, I get attacked for this, but it's the truth. 
Her speech mm-hmm. at the Golden Globes wasn't exactly what you want to hear uh, in a competitive year like that, and especially if Kate Blanchett wasn't there. Uh, mm-hmm. By contrast, Kei Hui Kwan's speech was one for the ages. It was great. It ensured his victory because it was the kind of speech that you sit and watch award shows for. You watch to see people excited to win, not to get up there and start lecturing the industry on how she had no opportunities. She didn't even seem happy to win. Yeah, um, and people. But you're mad. talking about what Kay Haikwan said at the Golden Globes. Yeah, right? that's mm-hmm. what. Got yes, I agree. Yeah, I agree. It was a well phrased uh, speech and an emotional very, moment that I believe. Yeah, very good. And he, you know, he starts it out with saying Steven Spielberg gave gave him his first chance, and how he never thought he, you know, that people stopped giving him work, and here he is, and people, you know, these directors gave him one more chance, and. You know, that's kind of what we needed to see with Michelle Yeoh. But the fact is about her is I think she might just be too proud ultimately to act like she's happy to win. Um, Maybe. Maybe it'll seem to her like sucking up to people. I don't know. But um, but that's what you want to see. She's been around for a long time, right? She's not uh, she's not some, you know, oh, wow, this this is a surprise. She's she's a very confident and and uh and wise woman who's really who knows the ropes knows this industry has been here for a long long time you know it's the same idea which is that public events uh, news events or uh, tragic events have a way of impacting people's thinking about um about certain films that are related to these very same events and you know you're i'm very angry about what happened about that but this is what the way people think i don't think it's really going to have a huge thing i think it's very very sad in and of itself uh lisa marie's uh, it was a timing thing like if if it had happened before the critics choice votes had gone in maybe he would have won the critics choice and maybe he would have been able to pick up on the momentum Mm -hmm. of um of his globes win but uh, but as it was, Brendan Fraser made all the headlines, and and Austin Butler is being chased around with this story about how he can't get rid of the Elvis dialect. Um, people are talking about that a lot. It's sort of overshadowing his performance. Really, I didn't hear this one. They're saying that in interviews when he's being yeah. spoken to by really okay. Yeah, people are talking about it. But the other thing is, is that. The SAG Awards are going to be the the key. Whoever wins that is going to win the Oscar, obviously. And I, I really do think Brendan Fraser is going to win it. Just, uh... mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, but we'll see how when that goes. What are the goes. SAG Awards this coming week? Mm, I have to look. I don't know. But um, okay. The the Best Picture nomination that it will certainly get. What do you think would be a fair and just <clears throat> uh, nomination for Top Gun? Besides, I bet Kaczynski, right? director ah i would love to see picture director screenplay um Mm -hmm. i'd love to see tom cruise get in um and of course there's been there's been no buzz for him ever i mean nobody because he's he can do that this kind of thing with his i know but so what i mean you know you want to save your show nominate tom cruise (laughs) it's like Mm -hmm. how hard Uh, is it people jeez um, I would do it in a heartbeat. Just put him in the show so people can see the, the the big, huge star, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Everybody loves Tom Cruise. They'll watch if he's on the show. Uh, um, yeah. I would like, you know, it's obviously going to get all the tech categories for sure because it's going to win a lot of those, but... Um, the physical effects were just wonderful. I mean, I don't know how much of it... And the editing is know, so good. The yeah, editing is just... Excellent. watch. Just watch the first... 20 minutes of it that they just keep it moving mm-hmm. you know he's got to do the Mach 10 right in the very beginning the, the suspense is immediate 
The conflict yeah. is immediate. He's got to do this thing and he's doing something he's not supposed to do. They're covering for mm. him. And of course he succeeds. It's just a great, fun movie. What are you going to do? You mm. know? Fingers oh, crossed. Let's see what happens. Yeah. But I, um, yeah, I would imagine it'll be, it'll wind up with, uh, I just, um, and I'm, I'm personally, as far as realistic, uh, uh, odds are, are concerned. I really would love to see uh, Colin Farrell win because I really like him as a human being. He was, um, he seems the most um, uh, casually uh, uh, appealing, you know, in a kind of a confident, uh, uh, kind of that, that wonderful Burry accent of his. I just, I just really like the guy. He's, I don't think he's, he's going to win, out bro. Times. He's not, he's not going to happen, huh? Nah. So you're not going probably Brendan Fraser. You think that's it? It's pretty. Much I think it's a... between Brendan Fraser and Austin Butler. Yeah. Okay. I right. mean, yeah. Although I will say this: that it's very hmm. rare for um, the best actor to not have won the Golden Globe first. So that would tell hmm. us that it's got to be Colin Farrell or Austin Butler. But um, but Brendan Fraser has a weird relationship with the Golden Globe, so it's not really can't really uh, factor that in. Uh, we'll see what happens. Right now, I feel like it's Brendan Fraser's to lose because just like what you said, you know, about the mm-hmm. physical part of it. But um, yeah, and uh, he because he um, he did make a uh, deliver a very moving speech, and not at the Golden Globes, of course, but at the Critics' Choice. And I don't know, but I don't know how many people saw that because you know that was a um, very uh, weekly watched. There weren't a lot of people tuning into that show so i don't know right but, exactly uh, but <laughs> it, was it was like 500,000 people or something watched yeah. i mean yeah. almost as many people watched that that saw women talking yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> that's right. so sad the incredibly yeah. shrinking oscar rays um mm-hmm. all righty well i'm gonna go sleep i'm so tired and it was delightful speaking to you on a nice relaxed weekend and i uh, hope yeah you, uh... nice talking to you too and uh and we'll talk soon okay be well. right. Bye. thank you for listening to oscar poker with jeffrey wells and sasha stone at jeff wells's substack that's substack.com every day starts with a broken heart I must be too sensitive